Paul Farrow is a co-founder, principal, and chief executive officer at Form 4 Architecture. Committed to creating architecture that is rational, empowering, and dynamic, Paul's expertise ranges from office shelves and interiors, athletic facilities, mixed-use, churches, and residential projects. Paul maintains his dedication to clients and the success of projects through his direct involvement with the design and final implementation of every project he leads. His hands-on approach ensures that concepts and goals are carried through and ultimately realized. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Paul, good afternoon. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Where do we find you today? Where Where are you working today? I am at home in uh, San Rafael, California. Okay. Is this been your workplace essentially since the start of last year? Yeah, actually, I think it was a year ago this week that uh, we all, you know, San Francisco sent out the notice to uh, send everybody home. Yeah, it was funny because we actually hired a few people. There was like there they had one day in the office, and then oh, no. we had to then we had to send them home. So that was kind of a, and then we had a couple people we hired soon after that never even you know saw our office. So right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Are you guys heading back to the office soon? Is that, uh, I know some of the restrictions have been loosened in the Bay Area recently, but has that affected you guys directly for now? Yeah. I mean, we keep checking the um, sf.gov you know, website every yeah. week and trying to figure out when it is we want to go back. And, you know, right now for sort of general office space, they're still saying that, um, I think it was like they're, they only really want you to go back with 25% of the people if you've got an office right. of more than 20 you know, and so we're up, we're up to about 40 people. So we're, well, so we're in the middle of, um, you know, thinking through what our next office wants to look like. Yeah. It's something, yeah. It's something we're doing with yeah. our clients, obviously, because we do a lot of workplace design for our tech clients and, and developers in Silicon Valley yeah. and all over the place. And we had a plan a while back when we were thinking of going back earlier, that would sort of be a COVID response. You know, it's, it's getting less people in the office and lowering the density and all that. But I think things are a little different now. We're not so much thinking about living in a, in a COVID world. It's more about like, what's it going to look like or what do we want it to look like after COVID? And So that's a great segue, Paul. Before we go there, I do want to just get a little bit of a background and sort of intro to sure. your firm and to you. And then let's jump into that because I think that's obviously on, on a lot of people's minds these these days. But tell us a little bit about, you know, by way of introduction, sort of by your form form four firm and kind of how that started, what your background is, and winding road of your career led you to where you are today. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, just speaking personally, I uh, I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, down in the down in the peninsula. Ended up graduating from UC Berkeley in architecture. Uh, during my time there, I was hired uh, by DES Architects just as a, a model builder and uh, you know doing renderings and okay. And um, so all through my last two years of college, I was working there, which was great. And and I would recommend it for anybody that's in the field and is in school right now is to you know try to try to get a job in architecture while you're while you're in school. So from there, uh, my boss who you know hired me when I was nineteen to build models, he. Um, he got an opportunity a few years after I graduated and I was working full-time at DES. He got an opportunity to become a principal at another firm, DGA. And um, he asked me to join him and go there with, you know, as, as part of the team. There were three of us that went over there. And we spent about a year there. And during that time, uh, my partner, who was my boss at the time, who then became my partner, we started talking at lunchtime. We we're like, hey, why don't we do, the, do our own thing? So we spent, you know, about six months trying to plan to, to start Form 4 and then 
end of uh, December of 1998, we, um, we did it actually started in my, my, uh, wife's in my, uh, flat in San Francisco yeah. you know, for the first few months until, <laughs> right. until we had a space available downtown. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've been going 20, 22 years now. Wow. Um, congratulations. That's great. Yeah. And, and what was the sort of genesis of, of, of that? I mean, I'm, I'm always curious as a, you know, business owner, my, myself kind of what, what drove you to think about starting a firm and kind of gave you the, you know, confidence that this is going to work. <laughs> You know, I think we we had worked at pretty large firms uh, at the time. I mean, you know, I didn't have as much experience as my my partner Bob and and the others did at the moment. But you know, we had all come from larger firms, and so we were looking for something where we could definitely be more hands on in the architecture. You know, and you, when you get those large firms, you you sort of you know you, you're just sort of a manager or you're a business development guy, and you're kind of you kind of lose touch with the actual architecture and doing it. So when we started the firm, we were we purposely wanted to keep it, you know, small, um, so that we could really be involved with our clients and involved with the architecture. So that was, that was sort of the, the initial idea of just bringing back the fun, so to speak, yeah. of, you know, doing architecture. And yeah, that was kind of the start. And, and we weren't as happy where we were and, you know, obviously you want more control of your life and in general, then that's kind of well, another reason why you become a business owner. Thinking yeah. you're going to have more control, I suppose, and more flexibility. You but think, you end up working, you think, you end up, right? You end up working, yeah, you end up working more than than the rest of the staff. Yes, so. yes, I know that. I know that life very well. <laughs> yeah, excellent. And then, what what does your firm focus on? Is there a certain area of expertise that you guys have built, or you know, wanted to build that uh, you guys maybe stumbled upon, or you know, how how did that evolve? So when we when we started, we had two pretty large projects. One was a five-story office building ground up for Sobrato development. And the other one was a, a 90,000 square foot athletic club down in San Diego for Western athletic clubs. So at the time, those were our two, you know, those are the two things we had been doing for, you know, many years before starting the firm. Um, so, you know, and then fast forward 22 years later, and we're, we're definitely workplace architecture, whether it's ground up or repositioning of, of properties or doing the interiors is, is you know our primary our primary um, area of focus. Yep. But we've over the years diversified for sure, and we still do a lot of athletic club work. Where you know we do residential, we're doing more multifamily residential these days, uh, more mixed use these days. You know we've always done single family houses here and there. Uh, we've done you know a couple churches, and we're working on one now. And um, we do a lot of design competitions um, around the world. And so we're as as we've grown up, we've you know, diversified more, which is great because you, you need to do that for the business aspect of sure, it and also just sure. to keep it interesting for ourselves. But, you know, most of it is in the workplace world. We've got a, you know, we've, been, we've grown up in Silicon Valley um, working with all the big developers and tech companies in the area. So that's that's one of our main areas of focus for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about sort of workplace in Silicon Valley because over the last decade, I think it's been very transformative. I think in many ways, the Bay Area became kind of the, center of uh, innovation, not just in the country and, you know, West Coast, but also probably around the world as well. And I think that the spaces that these companies were being built in also drove a lot of that innovation too. So tell us kind of, yeah. how did you see that evolution occur sort of up to March of 2020? Where was it going? Yeah, I mean, it's, everybody sort of knows the story about these innovation companies and, and, how they've developed their campuses and their interiors and their, you know, the design for all that to, to basically foster 
inter, you know, spontaneous interaction, constant communication between people, you know, sort of getting as many ideas out in the air as possible, uh, letting, letting different departments sort of, you know, throw ideas into that department so that suddenly a new idea comes out of both those, those people talking. And so it was all about opening up the workplace, you know, making it as open and transparent as possible keeping people on campus as long as possible with all the amenities so people would, you know, work longer and share ideas more. And, you know, so we're all kind of used to that. We've all watched that develop over the years and, you know, along comes COVID throws everything out the door and forces us to, to abandon all that. Um, and I think that's the big question right now. We've, we've obviously all adapted, you know, as we needed to, to work at home. Um, but I, and I think the, the ramifications are going to come later when, innovation companies are going to pro- probably see that they're not innovating as much as yeah. they maybe used to, or, yeah. that, or that the younger staff aren't learning as much as they used to. And, you know, you're not going to see that immediately, but it's going to be felt down the road, you know, when you sort of missed out on things, you don't even know what you missed out on. So, you know, that's, that's the big question right now is, is how do you now, given that we all think we can live in this sort of hybrid working model, hybrid meaning, you know, partly at home and partly at work when we do return, you know, does, does the innovation still, does the amount of innovation still happen when that, when you do that? Yeah, it's certainly a challenge. I think, I think we're all trying to sort of grapple with that, right? And it sounds like some companies are more flexible than others. I think part of that probably has to do with the kind of work you're doing as well, right? Um, I remember years ago, I worked uh, at a software company and, you know, one of our top developers just lived in Tahoe because he could and he wanted to, right? And, yeah, so, yeah. and so I guess, you know, uh, you know, but if you're a hardware guy, right, or gal, right, you're you're probably in the lab all, all the time, especially like if you're in life science or anything like that, you know, you, you can't sort of take that on a laptop, right? I mean, that's that's the challenge. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. So, so uh, Paul, we started this conversation kind of, you know, going down the path of you're helping these companies, you know, figure out what to do with their workplace, but you're also kind of on your own trying to figure out what you're doing with, with, with your own office, right? Yep. Let's start with your clients first. You know, what, what are some of the things that you're seeing kind of, what, what are some of the drivers, right? How are they reacting to this and where are they with this kind of, you know, return to work uh, thinking? Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if you saw the article that just came out probably yesterday or this morning regarding Google. So we do a lot of work with them and, and Sundar just came out saying that he's having everybody return to th- at least three days a week yeah. starting this fall. And I, I think that's, and I think that's pretty much where it's going to go for most of these tech companies and for most of the companies in, in the Bay Area and people like us. We're all thinking, you know, hybrid model. The, the COVID experiment that we call it, it, it it's not about solving the, for the COVID problem, really. It's actually solving for now that we've seen what we can do outside the office what do we want the workplace to be now that's right yeah and you know there were a lot of problems with the workplace actually before we all left um you know the density was getting incredibly you know just over the top you know even our even our own office we were we were packing people in and we were getting ready to actually look for a new space because we were just too packed in and it wasn't comfortable it wasn't productive in the sense that the, the acoustics were bad you know holding meetings was hard just because everybody's talking on other, you know, on video calls. And so it was sort of like COVID woke everybody up and said, you know, there is a problem here now. Let's now let's try to make an even better workplace, you know, a workplace of the future where you actually enjoy being in the office and you go into the office, not because you have to, but because you have specific 
things that are better served by being in the office with people. That's right. Yeah. So I, I think the office is going to be more, for at least what we're thinking for ourselves first. I mean, we're going to treat our office a little bit like a lab is, you know, a- answering those questions. Well, why would anybody want to go in there? And what are the functional things that you want to be doing there? What are the interactions? And I think most of it comes down to you want to go there to interact with people for specific tasks that are more productive and better served when you're with people and not just on a video call. So we're going to, it's more going to be a highly collaborative space, you know, one that's more social as opposed, you know, it's not going to be about focus, you know, focus we can do at home and we've all seen that. Right. And in fact, in fact, it's a lot, it's usually better when you're at home doing focus work, but you still need to balance that with um, the interaction and the flow of ideas. And all of our meetings now that we have with each other are so scheduled. They're scheduled for very specific topics. And you miss out on a lot of other things that just you're not going to conversations aren't going to even happen because you're ready for you guys to get into the next video call. So you just talk about a specific thing, and move <laughs> yes, on, you know, yeah. and, and, and right. people aren't and people aren't hearing conversations. Right. You know, the, the, jun- the junior people aren't hearing about other projects. They're not seeing what's going on with other things. That's They're not right. Hearing That's right. The problems yeah. that, you know, so I definitely feel bad about the younger gener- younger side of the, the office and the senior people can kind of deal with it because we're not learning as much as they right. are, they are still. Right. So in fact, my partner who focuses on design, I mean, he loves being at home. It's like, he doesn't get any, you know, he's not distracted. <laughs> he can just design, you know, it's like, so it's great, right. you know, but, but he's in his sixties. So that's a different situation. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of laughing cause I'm, I'm similar, but, but I'm also, you know, realizing, okay, I can't just be in my house the whole time either. I got, yeah, I gotta I know, go out I as know. well. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting time obviously. And, and I, and I wonder if some of the, you know, innovation around connectivity will come from maybe some of the younger generations because they're going to be the ones who are probably on the hurting the most, if you will, right? Maybe hurting yeah. is a strong word, but being impacted by by this more than maybe some of their, uh, you know, more senior colleagues, right? And and I'm curious how that's going to play itself out. You know, I, I spoke to one of your colleagues not too long ago who who said, you know, it's been an interesting experience because they've, they've felt that w- with this, you know, COVID kind of, you know, time frame that it's allowed them to now connect with with a broader group of people virtually, right? So I think they were trying to do mm-hmm. like a like a summer internship or something like that, and you know, more people than ever had applied to it from places that they wouldn't necessarily, you know, get people from. Do, do you see some positive things out of this as well? I mean, I, I I get the whole negative thing, but does this open you up to you know working with somebody in Europe perhaps, or you know Asia or Latin America that you've never worked before with, but now you can create stuff with, right? Well, yeah, we we have been. We, um, I mean, just from our staff point of view, we have people right now that are in Australia, a couple in Canada, a couple in Mexico. Uh, we were working for a time with a, a group in Portugal. So it, it has opened up, like, you know, we have recruiters looking for people and some of those people are around the world. Interesting. Or, yeah. or we had one woman that we, we hired on as a contract person. She was here in San Francisco. I don't know if you remember, you know, a while back the fires came, the smoke was bad, yeah. the air was bad. She decided I'm going up to Seattle. She's been up there ever since. Um, one of our senior, uh, our director, our interior director has just recently um, moved out to Colorado. Um, you know, she has young kids and it was just... In the Bay Area, the restrictions were so tight on getting their kids back in school, and she's got family out in Colorado. So she's like, you know, guys, I need to go out there 
and get my kids back in school so I can work more. You yeah. know, it's, it's too hard to work with my, <laughs> right. my two-year-old and three-year-old running around. And then yeah. another guy, same situation. He's now down in San Diego. So yeah, I mean, it, there's tons of flexibility there and, and we're open to it as long as obviously people have to deliver and perform and meet the deadlines and, you know, that we have as architects. Yeah, but it has opened up to a whole group of people all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you guys relying on some new technology or maybe technology that was sort of emerging maybe a couple of years ago, but now you're, you're all in because you have to? Yeah, it, it's funny. We, at the end of 2019, we brought on a technical director. And when he came on, he was, you know, looking at better ways of working and as part of it. And he, you know, he introduced to the company just literally right before COVID. I mean, not even knowing COVID was coming. He started introducing team, you know, teams, which right, I think is pretty right. common now, but, but there's similar ones out there. But now we're fully in with it working that way. We didn't have it before, but with COVID, it just magnified it, the need for it. So we're, we're using that and, and then just other, other ways of, you know, using Bluebeam to, to, to mark up drawings and share them, simul- you know, kind of instantaneously. Yeah, interesting. Yep. So yeah, that all happened. I mean, we were on our way to doing it, but then COVID just made it, you sort of have to do it. You know, you have no choice. I would love to hear your uh, perspective, if we can go back to the comment that uh, Sundar Pichai made about, you know, Google and what what their plans are. You know, I'm kind of on the fence in terms of what what I'm hearing, because I I feel people in the commercial real estate industry are, are, you know, very optimistic about commercial real estate, and that's understandable. I am too. But I I, I wonder, you know, at, at this point, you know, does the employer have the upper hand or the employee has the upper hand? And I remember, you know, our in the Bay Area, you know, when Marissa Meyer came to Yahoo and sort of made all these kind of wholesale changes within terms of, you know, where your flexibility can and can't be, who has to be in the office, right? It really backfired. And that was, you know, before we had a global pandemic happening. And I'm sort of curious, you know, do, do you... Do you see some of that and you kind of wonder, like, I wonder if this is really going to work out if people are, are going to return back um, or they're sort of doing it now just to see who kind of reacts and how they react? Yeah, I mean, I've been listening to so many conversations on this, on this very topic. I mean, some of them on your, some of your panel discussions. And I, I think I heard some things that I think are going to be very true. One of, the, one of the women, I can't remember her name, said something about, you know, what's going to return people to the office is competition in the sense that, you know, let's say the CEOs and the executives start returning and people are going to want to be around them more in order to help their own careers and get the better assignments and the better projects. And the people that are not present just may not get the better things. I mean, there's the political aspects of working in these firms sure. as well. You know, the more interaction you have with your supervisors and bosses and, and on up, you're probably better served in your career. So if you're kind of, if you're kind of, not there. I yeah, mean, present, I, can just see, right? I, I can see in our own office. I mean, we're only 40 people, but there's a whole bunch of people I haven't talked to in a long time. And I have to go out of my way to talk to them. And I do that as, as a CEO, just to kind of you know, foster the culture and, and remind people why we're doing what we're doing. And, but I'm, I'm going out of my way to do that. I don't, I don't sort of necessarily have to, but in their case, they're missing all the connections unless they're working with like me or the other principals on a project. They're just not getting the, the sort of bump in moments and, and access to us that they would normally get. So I think the competition eventually, as people do, do start to go back and you're interacting people with people like we'd like to, I think that's one reason people will start to go back more. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, there's going to be the competition in the market. Yeah. One, one anecdote that I've heard from somebody who spoke to an end user basically said, you know, we're, we're going to just have to have a couple of quarters to go by to see how this all plays itself out, right? Yeah. Uh, which is kind of interesting. So from a physical point of view, what are some of the things that companies are talking to you about? Like, so obviously, you know, is benching going away? You know, like, are, are they, you know, are they asking you to kind of redesign certain spaces? Teams are going to be clustered in one area, maybe not interacting physically as much as, as they had in, you know, other teams. Will there be barriers, whether they're physical or, you know, however, how other, you know, other barriers you can set to maybe not allow access to everywhere in the, in the building? How are some of those anecdotes coming, coming through? So a couple months after the, sh- the, the shelter in place, we and the, about 10 other architects were asked by Google to look at our existing projects that we were doing with them and to apply some guidelines that Google had started to you know, come up with. The guidelines were basically meant to you know, start out with like a 25% capacity, then lead up to a 50%, then lead up to a 75%, and then see where it goes from there. But that all that conversation about spreading people out and you know shielding people from one another and screenings and screens and all these devices that seems to have you know just sort of gone away i mean they that was almost like design if covid was going to be around for you know 5 years yeah but now that we've got the the you know vaccine going and, and you know hopefully that works out people are starting to just think like okay it's not about the pandemic, it's more just now what we've seen in terms of working at home. How do we blend that into our operations and then the design? It's not about like spreading people out. It's, I mean, only, I think it's only about spreading people out in the sense that we were, over, we were too dense to begin with. So we, you know, we don't want to go back to that. So while benching isn't going away, you might just see the benches not so packly, not so tight, <laughs> right? Um, you know, yeah. Um, and and now I think we're people having had the opportunity to work at home. Uh, you know, like in my case, I I've got a nice setup here at home. I've got this sort of man cave office. I'm I've got you know quiet. My kids are much older, but they're upstairs, so I have a nice, comfortable place to work. When I go back to the office, I want my office to be as nice and comfortable. I don't want to go back and be like sitting, you know, two feet from somebody and, <laughs> right. and, listen, and listening to all this noise. And I mean, it's like, right. I think that's part of it now. It's like, you've kind of seen another side of things or another way. And then you want to bring that back to the office and not have the office more miserable than, you know, than you were. But although in some cases, some people are miserable in their working situation at home. So they're going to like the office, you know, if they, right. they've got young, right. young kids running around or maybe they live in a studio apartment and they're just, you know, yeah, they've, they've gone through that. The office will be a nice break, actually. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Looking at sort of what happened in the last recession, uh, it was really disruptive for the architecture industry. And and part of it was obviously because a lot of the projects was just put on hold and everything else kind of that yeah, followed. Yeah. Do you anticipate this time that it'll be a little different, that, you know, maybe, you know, it won't get as, you know, decimated, that the companies will continue to grow and they will continue to expand their footprint. In other words, are, are you seeing, you know, the architecture industry, you know, stay the same, contract? Where are things from from your vantage point? Yeah, so of course we're all, this whole working from home thing, you know, starts to scare people like myself who work, design for workplace, you know. It's like, if people don't go back, what am I going to design for? But I think I'm actually beyond that now where I think that, the workplace is still going to be just as needed and 
In fact, the, the same amount of square footage is going to be need, needed in that there might not be as many people sitting at desks, but the space will be better designed for those that are there. And it'll be designed for you know the reasons to go in. So you're not going to need less space. You're in fact, you're going to need a little bit more space to spread out more and have those meeting collaborative spaces. Um, you might not have as many desks, but you're just going to have you know other kind of spaces that better serve you know why you go in. So I don't think that there's going to be like you know like in 2008 nine there were a lot of architects that left the industry. We're sort of actually seeing the results of that now when we're when we're trying to recruit. Yeah, I, I don't see that. I mean, we're recruiting now, and and we're seeing a lot of people still there, a lot of opportunities, and, and finding a lot of employ, employees looking. So I, I'm I'm optimistic that. You know, we're going to all get out of this and everybody's going to be so excited by the fact that we can all leave our homes that, you know, there'll be a boost to the economy. Sort of like yeah, the yeah, tw- like I the think. Yeah, that certainly seems to be an indication, which I think has its own consequences yeah. as well, potentially. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, maybe we'll discover a new virus. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no. But anyway, uh, what do you think are going to be some of the big issues that architects will be facing in the next cycle? I mean, I, I sort of anticipate kind of next cycle starting in 2022, effectively. But what do you think might be some big items that you know you as a professional in your industry will need to you know be aware of, or focus on, or just be a part of? I think it's mostly related to the the hybrid working and living. We were designing buildings and spaces that were based on a very traditional way of people living and working you know every you know you, you live at home and you go to sleep at home and then you come to the office during the day and then you go back home and all of that's been you know just just questioned and so we have to answer okay well, if we're in a hybrid model what are the you know what does that look like what does that mean you know just all the way from down to furniture to the type of rooms and spaces we create what does that look like i mean i think that's what we're all trying to answer and figure out and, and actually none of us have we're all been talking, but none of us have been able to execute on it yet because we really haven't been able to go back. Um, so there's going to be, when we do finally get back, what does that look like? And I think that's what we're going to be struggling with for a while. Um, we're sort of answering the, what is the next generation of workplace and living look like? And then there's the operational aspects of that. Yeah. That, you know, com- companies are going to have to figure out. I mean, a lot of what we as architects, we're kind of we sometimes forget that there's the operational side of businesses that we need to take into account. We, we can't just design something without understanding how companies actually work. Yes. <laughs> and, and how they, what they allow their employees to do and not do. And so we, we really don't have those answers yet. I mean, that's what we're kind of waiting for. You know, Google just came out today and gave us a little bit of insight about them, but every company is going to be slightly different. <laughs> right. You know, right. And, and, and we're struggling with that. Even ourselves, we're, we're having debates and, you know, among our principles about, you know, what are we going to request or require of our employees when we, when we finally do get back or, and we're going to have to, how rigid are we going to be? How flexible are we going to be? How, how much are we going to accommodate individuals? You know, it's like, we're only 40 people. If you're a firm of, uh, you know, many more, you usually have to come up with more rules or else it gets hard to manage. Right. Right. So the operational thing is the thing that has to be figured out in a sense first. (laughs) And that sort of reminds me of kind of the old sort of design adage, right? Is, uh, you know, f- uh, form always follows function, right? I would, well, I was joking with my, my partner the other day. We were kind of, we were talking about this issue relative to our office. And if you go to the extreme and you say, well, we're going to, we're going to allow maximum flexibility. People can, you know, we're not going to require people to go to the office. Well, if somebody tells me that as, as sort of the, 
the CEO who, who worries about the finances of the company the most, I would be like, okay, well, let's get rid of our office. <laughs> right. why, you know, if, if you're telling me that we're not going to require people to come in at all, why am I paying for this thing? But there's got to be a good reason to, to still keep the office and pay for it. You know, that's what everybody's yeah. got to answer. Yeah. One interesting anecdote that I heard a developer actually say to me uh, not too long ago, you know, he said, you know, real estate doesn't seem to be like a, like a big expense item for a lot of these companies, but salaries are. And so yes, yes. one of the one of the big adjustments that we can probably anticipate is moving those salaries and taking real estate in places where their salaries are lower, right? And mm-hmm. not necessarily for real estate's sake, but for the sake of just lowering the cost because you can employ somebody in Portland at 70% of the cost or, you know, Seattle or whatever, right? Yeah, that's definitely, in, I mean, in our business, salaries are the whole, everything really, yeah. that's our expense. And we were, we've been recruiting and our, our recruiter found some, uh, found a guy in Texas. She initially gave us the range of salary that he was looking for. Well, it turned out that the range of salary he was looking for was one where he basically got to stay in Texas. And then when we said, well, at some point when you come to San Francisco, which we will want you to, he said, oh, well, if you want me to come to San Francisco, I want to be paid, you know, this much more. <laughs> so we're like, wait. Which is understandable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not when you're the employer, right? You're like, no, 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 I want to pay you the same amount of money, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So that, that one didn't work out, but. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, understood, understood, yeah. I, I actually started doing that analysis because, you know, even the people the last year in our office, you know, they're not traveling to the office. Sure. They're not spending money on on the various things that you have to do to get into the office. They're not spending money at lunch in the San Francisco. They're, you know, and, and in some sense, our salaries are based on all of that stuff. What does it cost to live in the area that you live in? You know, and at, at what point does a company say, well, wait a minute, you're no longer paying for all that stuff. So why am I paying you the same salary for that? You know, if you, and I'm sure the big companies ask that question. That's something you have to ask on a financial point of view, you know, when you're, yeah, when you're yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly, exactly. No, very, very interesting. Paul, what advice would you give to, you know, your, your younger self if you were starting in the industry, you know, today? Thing, things you wish you knew that, or maybe new things that you've just uncovered that, that you think uh, any aspiring young architect should be, should be aware of? Yeah, when I think about myself, I was very lucky in that, as I mentioned earlier, I, I had that job right away, uh, you know, as a 19-year-old architecture student. It didn't matter what it was, just, you know, get into, get into an office and learn what it means to actually practice architecture. You know, it's sort of that big, that big divide between academic architecture and, and the real architecture and, and how offices really function and work and how projects are actually delivered. I mean, the more you can get experience b- before you graduate, also to learn whether you actually want to be an architect. You know, that's being an architect is a, uh, you know, a lot of hours, you sure. got to be, you got to love it. And, you know, so I would recommend anybody just get anything, an internship as much as you can before you graduate. And then I would say, learn the tools that in the modern world of architecture in terms of the, the programs and not only learn them, but make sure you learn them in the way that they're used in, in, you know, real office, not just how you use them in, in at school. We find that a lot of the, the students, you know, like, let's say they know how to, they say they know how to use Revit. But they only know how to use Revit really in, in sort of the basic modeling that you do in school to create pretty pictures and not how Revit's used, you know, in an office from, yeah. through all through all phases and, you know, going from one phase to the next. And so, you know, just as much as possible, learn those tools in your early part of your career. Because um, when we go to hire now, you know, we made the transition to Revit a few years back and, and now we're seeing some of the, 
you know, we expect that some of the old architects aren't going to necessarily learn it. We, and they don't necessarily need to because they're, they're valued for other reasons. But if you're a young person in the, in the, you know, in the field, you better know how to use those tools that, you know, that we're using. Yeah. No, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And just, you know, be prepared, you know, love it. You got to love architecture to stay with it. You know, um, I would also recommend that, you know, young, young architects, the biggest, one of the biggest issues we have with young architects is they don't quite know yet what kind of architect they want to be. And what I mean by that is a lot of times you have architecture divided amongst those who focus mostly on design and, and those who focus mostly on, you know, the sort of execution and production and technical sides of architecture. And you find that those people in life that, that sort of know what they're about and what they, and they love what they're good at are those that are you know, happiest. You have a lot of architects that, that want to be designers and, and design is actually a very small part of architecture in the real world. It doesn't take up as many hours as the, as the execution of projects. So you get a lot of people that are aspiring to be designers, but they never really get the chance or they're just not quite good enough. You know, it's just the reality of, of things. You know, yeah. There's better designers than others. There's, there's designers that are very fast and quick and are amazing at coming up with ideas fast. And so there's a lot of frustration uh, sometimes in, among architects where they, you know, they're not in the position they want to be in and they're not doing what they want, they thought they wanted to do. You know, what you learn in school is how to be a great designer. But like I said, like I said, it's a very small aspect of the, the of what we do on a daily basis. But you're always problem solving. So that's the great thing. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, it's there's design in everything, but just not necessarily the kind of conceptual design that you do when you're in school. Yeah. It's not always cute and fun. And right? it says, yeah, which is really, uh, true probably for any industry. Right. I mean, you know, once you get sure. into this sort of yeah. daily grind of things, you know, the work you do is very different from sort of the, you know, think you yeah. what you think you were going to be doing. Right. But those architects that I've met throughout my career that let's say those guys that are project managers, but they just, I mean, they love being project managers. They love, right. You know, right. And so they're, they're kind of the happiest kind of architect because they're doing actually what they're great at and what they love. They don't have any regrets about like, Oh, I'm not designing enough or, you know, they're just, they have found that, that what they're, you know, they're, it's consistent with what they are. You know, there's not the frustration. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, Paul, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Love chatting with you and uh, stay well and best of luck with uh, return to your office uh, as, as quiet or as loud as that's going to be. Yeah, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate the talk. Thank you for listening to The Real Perspectives Podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.